1: This is Natalia Shpilova-Said, I'm the host of New Books in Literary Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today I'm speaking with Anindita Banerjee, the editor of Russian Science Fiction Literature and Cinema, a critical reader, which was published by Academic Studies Press in 2018. Anindita Banerjee is an Associate Professor of Comparative Literature and a member of Advisory Board at the Atkinson Center for a Sustainable Future at Cornell University. She is the author of We Modern People, Science Fiction and the Making of Russian Modernity, which won the Science Fiction and Technoculture Studies Book Prize from the University of California and was praised in Science Magazine, the Times Literary Supplement, the Los Angeles Review of Books, the Times Higher Education, Comparative Literature Studies, Science Fiction Studies, Slavic Review, among many academic and public venues. Um Anindita Banerjee is completing a second single authored book titled The Chernobyl Effect and in 2018 Anindita Banerjee also co-edited another volume Science Fiction Circuits of the South and East which was published by Peter Lang Oxford Hello Anindita
0: Hello Natalia, very nice to
1: talk to you. Thank you so much for joining me today. So could you uh, tell us a little bit about this publication? Um, How did the project evolve and what prompted this publication?
0: Um, The project in some sense uh, has been evolving for a while now in the course of my researching, my first book, uh, We Modern People. Um, I realized that Russian language, science fiction, whether in textual or visual form, has an incredibly rich uh, and long tradition. Uh, but there was a strange kind of work that, uh, that attended the scholarly study of uh, this genre uh, in that particular linguistic and, you know, cinematic space, which is as follows. Um, Scholars of science fiction worldwide, especially in Western Europe and North America, had first gotten very, very curious and um, uh, fascinated, I would say, uh, 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 by by Russian science fiction, uh, broadly speaking, during the space age. This was natu- natural, I write about it um, as well in the introduction uh, of my book. I, the first line of the text is, it all, you could say it all started with Sputnik. Mm-hmm. Um, so not, uh, so not just scholars, but actually fans, and just general readers of science fiction in this once the space age was launched with Sputnik, uh, <clears throat> became very curious about the kinds of uh, imaginations that lay behind this very real development something that brought science facts and science fiction together in a very spectacular way. Um, So, since uh, the 60s, um, both scholars and fans, readers, cinema goers, um, have been curious about Russian science fiction, but but the access to what they are curious about and would love to know more about has been very uneven. Mm-hmm. Uh, partly this is because of access to what is translated, transmitted, mm-hmm. subtitled, distributed, who views it, um, etc. which films have been to festivals, which have not, and where. Um, all of these uh, uh, dynamics uh, affect uh, how much uh, the scholars and, and readers who are really curious about a body of work that has existed for uh, uh, more than a hundred years, uh, uh, what they know about it and how they go about knowing more about it. So what I found was that that uh, particular period, spe- specifically the space age fiction, was instantly translated into English. There's been a lot uh, written about starting with Ivan Efremov's Andromeda Nebula, which came out in the same year as Putney, 1957, to the Strugatsky brothers, the Mm -hmm. kinds of dissident science fiction of the 60s and the 70s. These were texts that had been translated into English that at least scholars of science fiction knew a lot about. The rest of it was terra incognita, Mm -hmm. terra nullius, (laughs) where um, I teach science fiction regularly. I've been teaching science fiction now for a really long time. My students would uh, love to read more, but they have neither translation nor secondary literature. Scholarship in the West has been flourishing, actually, also since the 60s, specifically through the pioneering figure of Darko Suvin, who was a dissident Croatian literary theorist who moved to Canada, to McGill University, and I would say technically it brought you know scholarship on Russian science fiction to the West. Um, Darko Suvin's essay inaugurates the edited volume, um, and after Suvin, um, uh, 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 the movement of science fiction studies that grew uh, with uh, the new left movement with Frederick Jameson and so forth, but they were all focused really on that same period that I'm talking about, the post-Sputnik, uh, through uh, the stagnation um Uh, from the thought uh, uh, of Khrushchev to the stagnation of Brezhnev era. And then after the fall of the Soviet Union, the Cold War was over, and the interest in the scholarly circles in the West kind of fizzled out. I came into the field of course (laughs) in the 21st century and found that Uh, that this was a very, very uneven landscape, and there were a number of scholars like me in various disciplines, historians of science, cinema scholars, who had been writing about parts of this tradition, but this scholarship was not really accessible. It was scattered in various disciplinary publications, sometimes industry publications, like there is one piece on Um, uh, 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 on the science fiction uh, cinema of Pavel Klushantsev, who was a pioneer, really, in special effects, um, and who started making science fiction films before Sputnik and continued on. that particular essay comes from a series of interviews that a pair of filmmakers from Hollywood had taken with Prashantsev when they were in the Soviet Union in the 80s. So that went into the anthology as well. Mm-hmm. So um, so the idea of the anthology is, well, many-fold. Mm-hmm. Uh, f- uh, uh, First and foremost, for myself, strangely enough, um, for myself, it is an archival project mm-hmm. as actually uh, construct an archive of what can be call the representative and you know the best selection of scholarship within the parameters given to me by the publishing house, right? Yeah. To collect, um, to to try to fill up this blank space with, uh, with uh, really rich secondary writing in various genres from various disciplinary perspectives. So it is not just Slavic literary scholars and Slavic cinema scholars, but from all of these different academic uh, spaces, uh, as well as from outside academia voices from outside academia. So that was for me personally my investment in this project. However, uh, I, since as you can see I'm very serious about um, pedagogy, stuff, <laughs> it's also supposed to be a resource for students uh, at all levels. and simply a book to be picked up and read by really the fans and the curious who this is the this is an audience that is often neglected in academic publishing but in this case really unless there was a market um nobody would have heard about these texts at all and i would also like i i i would also uh, uh, think about uh, you know, readers outside academia who would want to pick up um, and no more, just to dig around and see what they can find. So it's a kind of a scavenger hunt through all of these dark spaces, <laughs> the terra incognita that I was talking about before, um, for the merely curious people who just read science fiction.
1: Yeah, well, the impression I got from the um, volume is that uh, on the one hand, it covers diverse aspects in terms of uh, researching um, science fiction, literature and and cinema. On the other hand, it does meet diverse expectations from all kinds of um, audiences, so to speak. Uh, But uh, I thought that it's quite interesting because the genre of science fiction itself is quite blurry. And I was wondering if um, you follow some certain um, like pattern for what that uh, science fiction literature and cinema is, how would you define this um, uh, genre with this volume um, in particular? Because when I just uh, received this volume, I was, of course, thinking about science fiction literature, which was quite popular in the USSR. And uh, I would say that um, it included some very distinct, so to speak, community of readers. Uh, but I also thought that um, Soviet readers, for example, were big fans of Western science, uh, fiction, literature, and, well, literature, I would say, well, not maybe cinema that much, uh, at least uh, in terms of those novels and uh, short stories and other uh, publications which were available. So, for example, um, as far as I remember, writers like uh, Bradbury, Isaac Asimov, Stanislav Lem, Harry Harrison were quite popular in the Soviet Union. Uh, And among the Soviet writers, as you mentioned, the Strugatsky brothers, uh, Bulichov and Belyaev, Uh, but uh, other scholars also include names such as uh, Bulgakov and Zemetin, which again contributes to the uh, blurry boundaries of uh, this science fiction literature definition. So what's what's your approach to this genre? How would you um, define those possible boundaries here? Thank you. That
0: actually is the seminal question that, led me to study science fiction, mm-hmm. and I'm actually going to cite Zamyatin now, who <laughs> brought up in terms of blurring boundaries. Zamyatin to me, and uh, in my uh, monograph, uh, We Modern People, is, I would say, maybe the first kind of cogent theorist of science fiction in, in Russian. and. This is precisely what attracted Zamyatin to the genre, is that that it does not obey the Mm -hmm. hierarchy Mm -hmm. of um, high culture and popular literature, that it can move very freely between these registers, these scales, these audiences, and which is where Zamyatin, of course, being Zamyatin, saw its potentialities for, you know, some sort of an eruptive breaking out of infinite revolution, if you will, right? So in, in, in its, uh, uh, precisely, its, its power to float. The boundaries of genre. So that is also my mantra. I am uh, saying unabashedly as a Zamyatian fan. It, and, um, and it's not actually that nationally specific. I think this would be true of many kinds of futuristic and speculative movements, um, artistic movements. And I say this very broadly, uh, that uh, uh, like science fiction, traverse media, you know, so there is, you know, um, print literary science fiction, cinematic science fiction, there's new media, there are art forms, photography, etc. And so I'm thinking of pairing Zamyatin with actually something that, a movement that um, uh, has gained a lot of attention in the media lately, but uh, has been theorized only since the 1990s in a completely different uh, set of parts of the world, and that movement is Mm Afrofuturism. So one of the theorists of of Afrofuturism, Alondra Nelson, uh, I have not asked her whether she has read Zamyatin or knows about Zamiasin, but her definition of Afrofuturism is startlingly convergent with that of Zamyatin, uh, which is to say that she defines Afrofuturism not just, you know, as an aesthetic or in limited to a particular genre or a set of genres, but she sees it as this kind of mediator, right, translator, uh, uh, between um, High cultural theory, popular forms, but also as social and cultural criticism—a mm-hmm. mode of critique and a critical, a way of cultivating a critical and theoretical perspective on the world. And so, this is how I see science fiction—not so much uh, as bounded in form. Mm-hmm but rich in potentiality. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. So I think my next question is uh, some sort of a follow-up question on uh, what you just said. So what literary works in Russian literature do you consider the most representative for this genre? And uh, how do Russian science fiction writers engage with the immediate environment?
0: This is one of the social media questions mm-hmm. of the 10 book covers, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I, I will try. Mm-hmm. So... I tend to be um to, to lean towards what has not been studied so much so you um, uh, uh, can see from We Modern People there is a reason why I focused on the 1880s to the 1920s and there and, and with one earlier figure thrown in. So I uh, am a big fan of Vladimir mm-hmm. back in <laughs> the early 19th century um, and also I think you know, one of the first kind of full fledged science fiction in the twentieth century, since he uh, uh, his um, uh, his four thousand three hundred thirty eighth year, for example, um, is a purely futuristic, techno utopic, you know, speculative fiction. Coming down to the twentieth century, of course, there is a you know an embarrassment of riches. Um, in both, again, you know, straddling this kind of serious literature, popular forms, Uh, Zamyatin himself, Beliaev, Beliaev is very Mm -hmm. interesting, because one of the things that I also write about in the introduction to the critical reader is how older works get recuperated, remediated, right, and presented in new forms across very big gaps of time. So, Alexander Beliaev, who wrote... Um, in the 1920s into the 1930s a little bit um, until of course socialist realism was mandated as the only acceptable aesthetic form for literature and science fiction was swept into more or less the margins or the underground as non-serious youth fiction type of thing. Science fiction pretty much receded from the literary scene in the 1930s all the way until until the Sputnik era, when it comes bursting back into public life. Um, Billy, I have kind of straddles that those waning, you know, days of science fiction in the late twenties, early thirties. Why I think about him is because there is one particular work from 1928 called uh, Chlaviak Amphibian, mm-hmm. uh, the Amphibian Man, that in this early Sputnik era in 1962, uh, was dug out from the archives, so to speak, and made into uh, a movie that I'm particularly fond of. Mm-hmm. And uh, this uh, by Vladimir Chibotarios, and to, to love you can see the movie. Um, the story is set in the Rio de la Plata, in Argentina, right, uh, the estuary of the Parana River falling into the Atlantic Ocean. uh, uh, uh shot the film in Baku in Azerbaijan. Uh, why the story is so effective to me is here is a 20s, you know, science fiction novel that basically nobody would ha- have known about un- until it was dug out and remediated, right, into cinematic form. But then, um, I don't know if you have seen Guillermo del Toro's The Shape of Water. So, if you look at it, I believe it's an adaptation also of the amphibian man, Hmm. especially if you look at the end credits. Um, uh, Del Toro obviously works with many different texts. And uh, plays, risks and pays, pays homage to science fiction texts from all over the world. But it is my belief that the foundational text in that film um, this uh, the, it got an Oscar last year, mm-hmm. and um, uh, for for best film, uh, uh, The Shape of Water was one the best film Oscar in uh, two thousand seventeen, um, and that is somewhere. Um, um, perhaps uh, in an inspirational way, perhaps in a subliminal way, there is Amphibian Man Mm -hmm. in that film. Mm -hmm. So these, um, I I, I know I'm not giving you a representative sample, but um, in literary terms, do I think the Amphibian Man is the best you know, superior example of Russian science fiction? No. But in terms of its impact, its circulation, the kinds of ripple effects it has produced and is continuing to produce, it is absolutely remarkable. So, I, so this is a, a bit of an anecdote to, um, to convey perhaps also that if we are to accept that science fiction's value lies in um, an anti-hierarchical, position then um, it is very difficult to say that these are the highest ranking by what criteria however i will go <laughs> on and give you some others uh, that i love and uh, including cinematic works of course mm-hmm. um, i think you know uh mind Benders so solaris and stalker are about favorites i teach those films regularly even though it gives everybody headaches they give <laughs>
1: the students
0: headaches but they also Love them, and uh, and these have been very influential texts as well, uh, intercontinentally, globally. Um, I um uh, uh, I, I do love Strugatsky's work, um, particularly the later, darker ones. Mm-hmm. I am not so. F- not so fun, this by way of personal taste of the earlier light-hearted, more utopian body of works of the, the strugatsky I'm also fascinated by, though I don't know um, perhaps as much as I should know, of the post-Soviet mm-hmm. as literature scene. I think for uh, Vladimir Sorokin, for example, this is an abidingly rich genre that he keeps mining and mining right down to, you know, mid the blizzard, that I, I was just taken by this video I saw Sorokin at uh, a conference uh, drawing a picture of this uh, kind of snowmobile literally drawn by 40 little horses because it's a 40 horsepower machine and it's this great commentary on basically oil and ice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, so I think science fiction lives on. It mu- it has mutated mm-hmm. certainly mm-hmm. with each of these political <clears throat> and historical cataclysms so mm-hmm. to speak, right? Um, in that region, um, it changes its form, its shape shifts like right? the amphibian man radically perhaps. But when um when you go back and look at the big picture and try to pick out like you have just made me do, uh, what are the texts that you would pick up spontaneously as, as, as significant. Um, I think that it's very interesting to see uh, um, uh, see how they also travel across mm-hmm. space mm-hmm. and time.
1: Mm-hmm. So uh, I am a big admirer of Bulgakov, and of course there are some works that could well, potentially fit into this genre. So um, could you comment on his writing just a little bit? <laughs> I also
0: am a big fan of Bulgakov, mm-hmm. sorry I didn't mention him but of course um, Heart of a Dog, Sabat mm-hmm. is your is another one of those I think um, absolutely uh, pivotal,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, both conceptually as well as in the kinds of reverberations that it has produced of this idea of uh, 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 transpeciation mm-hmm. which really kind of resonates, I think, also at the threshold of the 21st century when we are looking at, you know, um, uh, not merely, you know, genetic engineering and of genomics, but this obsession—let's say—with now this cheap DNA kits, right? <laughs> of, um, of, of, of mapping out what, where in where are the boundaries once again between different categories and subcategories of humans, um, and where is the line between human and animal humans and non-human the human and non-human world, and so. Um, so for me, uh, 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 Bulgakov's work, which generated actually quite a few different film adaptations, there's a wonderful Italian uh, 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 film adaptation of *Heart of a Dog* that I saw. So this idea of splicing you know species together, but you know in his case, um, as also a kind of a threshold of historical time, right? And, 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 and a kind of a future making of the species. So for me, that is a powerful, powerful example mm-hmm. um, of the genre.
1: Mm-hmm. So you um, also um, <clears throat> uh, touched upon the uh, intersection of uh, literature and uh, cinema, and I would like to talk a little bit more about uh, those examples which are mentioned probably in this um, in this volume, or probably those um, film examples that you teach for your uh-huh. classes. Mm-hmm. Oh, so,
0: um, yes, yeah, so I, I mean, again, in the anthology, <laughs> mm-hmm. I also, sometimes privileged texts that uh, had not been written about as much and, you know, gave more space to those particular, especially cinematic texts. So therefore, you know, the chapter on Tarkovsky is really, really short because there are literally of articles about both Solaris and Stalker. These are two films that, you know, that were shown, released, you know, pretty much immediately and um, frankly has been um, written about and admired by Western audiences, if possible, even more so uh, uh, than their Soviet counterparts. the films that uh, 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 that most people don't know about are the ones that you will find quite prominently featured in the anthology, uh, beginning with Ailita, the 1924 uh, 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 movie made by Yakov uh, uh, Pratazanov, which I have written about and I find eternally fascinating uh, to this day. Um, this is a film um, that was profoundly experimental, but also uh, really the, its fate again, you know, what happened. It really illustrates the kind of warp between popular culture and high culture into which science fiction often falls. Um, uh, But um, it has just so much, even in terms of its gender politics, to say to contemporary audiences, this is a film, again, that teaches really well, not just as a historical document, but for the fundamental questions that um, it raises about... Uh, gender power technology, that particular triangulated, very fraught relationship over the ages uh, for my students. So, um, so Alita is quite prominently, <coughs> excuse me, featured in the anthology. Um, uh, and then, kind of leaping into the present, there is a very fine article on uh, Bekman narratives. Uh, Night Watch and Day Watch as a kind of uh, the opposite really counterpart of protazanov because something that people tend to forget about Aelita is that it was also a transnational production because Ratajanov himself was an exile right, he came back from Berlin to make that film but the film was also co-sponsored by the German Socialist Workers Foundation so it had both financing as well as Kind of a cultural literacy that was uh, uh, not confined exactly to early Bolshevik Russia. It was profoundly transnational in its essence. Bekman Beethoven, as you know, has worked in Hollywood for a long time, and so this Night Watch and Day Watch, which um, are very interesting kind of again in, uh, movies that that converse with the hinge of the 21st century in Russian culture, politics, and history, mm-hmm. the transition from the 90s into the 2000s. So that's where those films reside. And I think that, uh, that devoting a chapter to them was a good idea because not that many people um, know these films regardless of the their reputation in the American film industry. So those are kind of two bookends
1: of the cinematic works that are covered uh, Mm -hmm. in the Mm -hmm. anthology. Uh, I have another question about the status of uh, science fiction under the Soviet Union, because it looks like there is some ambiguity here. Um, On the one hand, like um, we already mentioned, uh, this genre was quite popular, uh, and um, uh, probably Vonnegut should be mentioned here as well, and some fascination with uh, Vonnegut's writing at uh, some certain periods oh. under the Soviet Union. Uh, so on the one hand, there is some sort of a um, fascination uh, with um, science fiction, and children were also growing up watching movies like um, The Adventures of Electronica, Приключения электроника, or The Guest from the Future, Гость из будущего. On the other hand, there was some control over this genre, so to speak, So, which uh, probably somehow um, prohibited uh, the development of genre or just uh, kept the development of genre a little bit suppressed or under control of the regime.
0: Yeah, I think that there is a very interesting... Um Uh, paradox Mm -hmm. here, in that that, uh, you're quite right, I think this was a genre that uh, was like a valve, Mm -hmm. right? It was let out, you know, but not fully, right? Just enough, Mm -hmm. uh, which is why, of course, it became so well-known as a kind of an allegorical outlet for all kinds of views. that. Would not actually have been uh, acceptable in realist fiction or just you know plain old literary fiction. So, this was a contaminated genre which gave it particular possibility in the Strugatsky culture, right? Mm-hmm. There was a whole subculture of Strugatsky that was actually cultivated by, uh, I think, a very um, high prestige groups and individuals in the Soviet Union, right? So, but, you know, it became this kind of outlet for particular unacceptable tendencies um, among, you know, the best and the brightest. Um, Children, of course, had to be also kind of cultivated and brought up in the techno-utopian tradition, Mm -hmm. especially of the space age. So at the same time, they were being fed this diet into the 80s, because I think Kriklusenia Electronica was running, I think, quite late into the Soviet Union. I haven't (laughs) asked that show, frankly. I know it a little bit, but I haven't studied it in detail. Um, But there are, you know, like certain, there is even a certain repertoire of like quasi subversive elements kind of, but in the children's uh, sector of the of mm-hmm. the market, I think it was quite tightly controlled. It's the adult cu- culture of Strugatskys that fascinates mm-hmm. me because there are basically, if you did the hard sciences mm-hmm. or engineering, you knew Strugatsky's like by heart. Mm-hmm. Everybody I know of that generation read Strugatsky's and talked about Strugatsky's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And so, so I think for that particular category of the intelligence, the te- the uh, uh, scientific and technological intelligence for the adult audience, okay. um, science fiction was kind of a safe space for like to as an uh, it served as an outlet of some mm-hmm. sort. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't really believe in again this kind of dichotomous view of literature. I don't think somehow the you know, there was the censor like waiting to axe things and the Stodowski somehow through their cleverness got around it. I don't think it's as simple as that. I think there was on the part of the state a certain usefulness of this genre, as I said, to kind of serve as a valve mm-hmm. for a limited amount of disagreement and dissidence. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh.
1: So um, this year uh, there is another um, volume that you edited, uh, Science Fiction Circuits of uh, the South and East. Uh, So is this project connected with the one that we were discussing today?
0: Um, It very much is. I was working on both of these uh, projects more or less simultaneously. (laughs) But as you can see um, uh, from the example of what also connects me is that that there are uh, not just locations of science fiction but uh, circuits cir- of mm-hmm. transmission translation adaptation distribution etc that are really understudied so uh, in the field of world science fiction, literature, and cinema, there is this implicit kind of assumption uh, that operates is that that science and technology and industrialization um, started in the West and flowed to the rest, right? This is a diffusionist logic of science fiction as a genre. And you know that the history of science fiction is a history of global capitalism and its Post colonial discontents. So, this, this was more or less the frame in which world science fiction um, is studied. Uh, our volume basically looks at the competing hub
1: mm-hmm.
0: of the market of alternative realities and futures, which is the Soviet and Eastern European uh, uh, world of science fiction because. They spread all across the post-colonial and global South cultures. They were equally translated Mm -hmm. into many different foreign languages. These films got found a good bit in Latin America, in Africa and Asia. They were actually, the Soviet Union as you know, especially again, in uh, uh, the Sputnik also coincided with the decolonization movements, right? Mm-hmm. In the global south. And and Khrushchev's, you know, liberalization and uh the consumption of world culture once again. So there were film festivals, literary festivals that were organized in the Soviet Union and by the Soviet Union in the nineteen sixties that plays. A crucial role I think also in the circuits of science fiction. So our collection goes um, across Asia um, and uh, through China and India as well as the Americas as I call it which includes you know Latin America, Caribbean and minority cultures of the United States as well. So we look at how uh, Soviet and Eastern Bloc science fiction uh, uh, existed in a very vibrant uh, market of, of of exchange with these um, uh, spaces of the Global South uh, uh, all around the world. Mm-hmm. So that's what this volume is
1: about. Uh, um, at the moment, you're working on um, another project, The Chernobyl Effect. Um, would you tell us just a little bit about this one? Because-
0: The Chernobyl Effect is um, a book that asks the reader to consider um, the atom and nuclear energy beyond the framework of the Cold War. Mm -hmm. So uh, it is not a history of Chernobyl, neither is is it a history of representations of Chernobyl. Rather, it takes Chernobyl as a kind of a paradigm shifting. Uh, moment, it's like the Kafka effect, or the mm-hmm. Overview effect, or indeed the Trump effect, as something that is, that exerted a decisive kind of um, uh, impact on the way that we can think about atomic energy differently after the end of the Cold War. It is very difficult to do so, and so, uh, so the book uh, looks at what Chernobyl means. And what it can do for us as we go forward into a future of environmental catastrophe, how Chernobyl has reverberated in various locations and time periods that are distant from the events that occurred on uh, April 26, 1986. Mm-hmm. How it has, how it impacts and distributes itself um, today in uh among lives and places and uh uh uh, histories that don't seem to have anything directly to do with that particular spot right in ukraine in the mid-80s um how it lives on right Mm -hmm. and its afterlife how it comes back in ghosts, such as in uh fukushima in Mm -hmm. 2011 so that is what i mean by the effect mm-hmm. part
1: of the title mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, do you include any literary works for this for this project
0: I do indeed mm-hmm. my first chapter is on of course mm-hmm. it is um, ultimately a book also about aesthetic form mm-hmm. as to what kind of form which you know given that the nuclear event is something that has always defied form. Mm-hmm. right? Um, it's white space, it's blank space, it's something unthinkable. And so how this unthinkable has also been given form, I think, uh, uh, was a crucial contribution of Chernobyl itself. So I, Alexievich's book is... Uh, a representative
1: example as you would call it. Well, uh, thank you so much Anindita and thank you so much for your research and for sharing your experience and and for providing us with uh, insightful observations about the literary and cinematographic developments and good luck on uh, this new project and I'm looking forward to reading uh, the the new book as well. So, uh, today I spoke with Anindita Banerjee. Uh, We discussed the volume uh, she added Of uh, Russian science fiction, literature, and cinema, a critical reader. Uh, Thank you for listening to New Books and Literary Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network.